that teacher would have taken the moment to be vulnerable and say, man, that's not where I came from. You know, I didn't come from that side of this experience, but I'm so sorry that that happened to you. You know, and I could imagine if this was me having to live in these quarters, how I would feel or, you know what I mean? Just taking that time, like you said, to process that out. Imagine how much healing that could have been just in that one instance as we move forward and we want to, as a nation, continue to heal. I am so excited to share this first guest interview with you today, to share my sister with you today. You are in for a treat. Trust me, you are in for a treat. Let's hop into the intro. Hey, hey, welcome to the Culture Center Classroom Podcast, a space for educators looking to step into their power by creating a classroom environment and lessons that affirm, welcome, and celebrate all their students through instruction. I'm your host, Jocelyn Hubbard, an educator, teacher coach, wife, mother to five children, and your partner on this journey of creating culture-centered classrooms. Let's jump into the episode. This is the very first guest interview on the Culture-Centered Classroom podcast, and It is one that I have been excited about for months because the very first guest on the podcast is my sister, one of my sisters. I am actually one of six children, but this is one of my sisters. And so if you have participated in any of the workshops that I lead for schools, I talk about this sister all the time. So you will now have an opportunity to hear her voice and to see her face and to really see how she and I are similar in a lot of ways, but also so, so different. Now, I want to introduce her properly and let you know a little bit about who she is. So this is Jonah Anderson. She is a mental health professional and a school counselor who has served both adults and children in the capacity of a mental health specialist case manager, educator, counselor, mentor, and life planning partner for over nine years. Working with children, adolescents, and adults has cultivated a love and enthusiasm for all things connected to supporting, encouraging, guiding, and the building up of a person. Her role as a mental health specialist and school counselor has created the opportunity to facilitate various types of groups, promoting self-care, self-esteem, emotional awareness, healthy coping skills, identifying triggers, team building activities, communication, as well as health and exercise. These experiences have created a unique perspective concerning the emotional well-being of others and how healthy emotions and coping skills lead to positive life choices. She's always striving to connect. She always leads with a positive and open mind first. She follows that up with an empathetic heart and she believes that this is what facilitates genuine understanding of people. Jonay graduated from the University of Cincinnati, receiving a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology. And in 2017, she received a master's in education from the University of Northwest, becoming a certified school counselor in 2018. She also has certifications and licenses in South Carolina and North Carolina, as well as Ohio. So she is very well-rounded in all of her licensure and experiences. You all listen, this sister of mine, okay, she is someone who, she she has loved me through so many seasons of my life, and I value that. 
She is someone who encourages me to, to do that deep identity work, to be reflective and to say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know what? That's not okay, Joss. Like, let's talk about this. And I need that, right? Like we all need those partners on this journey, like accountability partners, people that that really love us and are looking for us to be our best selves. And so that's the reason why I wanted her to be the first guest on this podcast, because I wanted you to see this person who has helped to shape me. We are only 18 months apart and the experience of growing up with her in my life through the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads has really shaped who I am today and and the the messaging, right? All of all of the things that I share with you, the tips and the strategies. Like she is one of my lenses. She is one of my of my filters around my cultural identity markers. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce to the show Jone Anderson. Hey sister. I'm so glad <laughs> you have provided me this opportunity to speak for myself, you know, and share a story from my my own personal point of view. <laughs> well, and you know what? You're right. Because during one of my workshops, I share one of Shonda Rhimes quotes from her book, The Year of Yes, where she says, I no longer see people for how I would rewrite them. I see them for how they write themselves. So you are correct. Mm. Here is your opportunity, sister, That's to true. write your story. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Okay. So I just gave an introduction, but what else do you want the people to know about you? Well, I am a mother of two. Um, I have a 16-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter. So that makes up a ton of who I am. I am passionate about parenting. And I think that that came from my mom because she was a passionate mother. I am a newlywed. Um, I am celebrating seven months. And um, I'm excited about, you know, that new journey. I think... Um, you know, you touched on I'm a school counselor, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying that role in my life, learning how to influence the school community. I think that's, I love that. Thumbs yes. it up. And so one of the things that you are really an expert on is this idea of like positive psychology. So influencing the school community in that way. Let's just kind of jump right on in because that's what I want to talk to you about today is how teachers can use positive psychology with their students, with the parents that they are engaging with, with their colleagues, right? Like how can they use that, add that tool to their toolbox and create an environment, a learning environment that is much more culturally excellent and culturally affirming for their students? Positive psychology is the study of what makes life most worth living, focusing on both the individual and societal well-being. Just to put, you know, put that out in the forefront, I think that incorporating that into the classroom will look like teachers just helping students learn what do they value, giving them a space and an opportunity um, to identify those things that are most important to them. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. And so how can we bring a change to the world if we don't even identify the things that we think are wrong with the world, right? And so providing that space. We're teachers and we want to give them information and share with them knowledge about the past because, you know, the way that you grow is by understanding the past, where we've been, right? But we also want to help students become centered in who they are 
and give, you know, empower them to use their voice. Absolutely. I mean, all of that, right? Like starting the identity work and helping students to understand. I think many times it can be scary for teachers to think about allowing students to do identity work. Like, oh my gosh, if we, you know, talk about really all the pieces of who they are, then that it's going to make them self-conscious or it might make, provide opportunities or space for other students to like make fun of them or to this or this or that. But it's like in the same regard, how can you help students to, to be empowered and to say, yeah, like this is who I am. Like, this is what I value. Like they, they'll never know unless they put it out there. So doing that identity work is so critical. And I love in that definition of positive psychology, it says what makes life worth living, most worth living, most worth right? Living. Like, so for our students, a huge part of their life is going to school. That is, that is, they spend more time in school than they do at home, at a practice somewhere, doing whatever, right? They spend more time at school. So how can we make that experience worth it, worth it for them? Right. Right? Yeah. Um, it just makes me think of a story that I just recently found out about. I was talking to my son and he shared with me some of his experiences in elementary and in junior high school. All your childhood years are formative. Junior high school is, you know, an extremely important time and just forming your identity. So it was something that he dealt with, you know, students coming to him and sort of telling him who he was. They were telling him who he was through their lens instead of letting him write his own version and share that. I'm, I'm sort of tying this in because if he would have had the opportunity in the classroom, right, to express himself in the ways of his gifts, um, and if teachers would have, you know, allowed the students to understand that, you know, everybody has something to give in a different way and, and you know, kind of done that work with students, I think that that would have helped build him up, right, just in his school community, instead of sort of being lost and kind of being like a fish out of water, when we all know that every student, every kid is not the same, they're going to go about things in a different way, right, based on, you know, their home life and based on their personality and their experiences. You know, I just think, again, that it's, it's so important that we show, show kids that there's not just one way. Right. There's not just one way to think about things, not just one way to go about things. Again, helping everyone in the classroom become comfortable and confident, you know, in their their own ideas and, and in the way that they you know, approach things. Well, and I think that that can also help them to see what makes life most worth living. When you start to see the way that other people are living their lives or tapping into things. I mean, you and I talk about that all the time. Oh, my gosh. Me watching you as a mother, as a parent. And you being able to watch me become a parent and going into like marriage and us being in education, it's like, ooh, I didn't think about it that way. I never considered doing this. Like I remember when you first moved down to South Carolina. So neither of us live in South Carolina now, but we both lived in South Carolina during like the pandemic and all of that. And I was running and you were like, you know, I never really considered myself a runner or like super athletic in that way because... I don't know, like, I don't know if it was because mom and dad, I mean, you can answer it, right? But like, if mom and dad didn't pour into that space for you, but they definitely did for me, they definitely did for our brother and for our youngest sister as well. You started to become a runner in that season. 
And that started to make life worth living for you. Like you enjoyed getting out and getting that exercise in. Absolutely. I think that this is sort of how I become a, a champion for people who need encouragement in these spaces because no, you know, I wasn't really encouraged. I was a tough child. You know, I was, I was shy and I wasn't going to just give you anything out front. You know, I needed that engagement. I needed someone to sit down with me and to pick my brain and allow me to talk and, and give me that open space. That wasn't the way things happened. And so I didn't really delve into a lot of my passions and things when I was younger. If I didn't identify as that immediately up front, I sort of just left it alone. But you're absolutely right. Being in an environment where you were running, that was something that you incorporated, you know, in your everyday life and you expressed the reasons why they were all beneficial reasons. I said, hey, let me give it a try. You know, I'm, I'm in a season of my life where I'm trying new things. Just try it out. And so another quote, I'm, you know, I'm a huge person about quotes. So that's another thing to know about me. I love quotes, but Walt Whitman. Well, and for those that, that are like watching this on YouTube, you can see behind her, she's got big outside quotes, the box. Quotes. She's got a <laughs> Yes, I love quotes. They, uh, they resonate with me. So uh, Walt Whitman, he says, be curious, not judgmental. Instead of me judging that space, well, she's pregnant and she really shouldn't be running. Or, you know, why is she trying to force this on me? That's her thing or whatever. I decided to be curious and to give it a try. And it became a phenomenal coping skill. And it allowed me to accomplish something that I didn't even know was going to be rewarding. I ran a 5K for the first time in my life. And I didn't even know that was something that I would even have ever wanted to do. But the feeling after it was so rewarding. Actually, training for it was so rewarding. I set incremental goals for myself, you know, and I learned so much about myself in that season that just brings me around to coping skills. I want, I was hoping that we'd be able to have a moment to talk about that within this podcast, but coping skills are the foundation of life because if you are going to pour into anyone in any capacity, as a teacher, as a mom, as a friend, as a cousin, as a lover, you have to be filled up. And the best person to fill you up is yourself. You know yourself. And even if you don't, you have the key to unlock those things that you don't know about yourself, but you have to stop and take the moment, spend time with yourself and identify, you know, what really brings you joy. When we're going into our classrooms and we're thinking about pouring into the minds of the future, we mm. can't do that if we are a dried up cup. We need, you know, we get thirsty too. If, if your thing is to go home, pop popcorn and watch a funny movie, if that's one of your coping skills, do that. Make sure you incorporate that um, because you can't encourage someone else to find out what is most important to them in life if you haven't taken that journey yourself. The best oh person to be able to speak to that, especially to our young minds, is going to be somebody who's, you know, on that journey and who's been on that journey to help them navigate that. Again, you know, put coping skills at the top of your priority to-do list. I always like to say, you know, don't pencil it in, get a pen and write that thing down and don't let anything take it, you know, off of your calendar because you owe yourself that time and that space and that rejuvenation. All of that. Linking this back to creating a culturally excellent, culturally affirming, culturally welcoming classroom. Helping our students to see that who they are, what things do resonate with them as far as their coping skills, those things are impacted a lot of times by 
their environment by their parents, their siblings, their guardians, aunts, uncles, whomever it is that, that's around them. If they are if they are people of faith and maybe going to church or to their synagogue or to their mosque, all of that impacts their coping skills. But until they get a chance to sit down, right? Because if we're talking about, ooh, okay. Mm, see, here we go. If we're talking about disciplining children in school and we're sending off referrals and everything else, and well, you know, you know, if they, if they had just counted to 10 or I, 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 I encourage them to do this, you haven't do, done the work with them or encouraged them to do the work to find out if that is actually something that is going to be a practice that is healing for them. That's going to be a calming technique, right? A coping right. skill for them. You have not done that work. This is beneficial. There's, there, there's all this chatter sometimes about like, well, I don't have time for this. And I don't have time for that. Okay. But so you have time to continue to send this child outside of, of, of your classroom. You have time for this child to continue to fail and to not be academically successful because we don't have the time to really get to know who they are and help them get to know themselves so that they can understand what makes life worth living. Why am I here? Why do I, you know what? I'm not listening to your class because I don't care. You know why I don't care? Because you don't care about me. Ooh, wait a minute. I can't, I can't tell that you care about me. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't respect you. I'm not going to receive what you're saying because at the end of the day, when I leave, when I go home, I'm faced with my reality, whatever that might be, whatever mm -hmm. that might be. And, and I mean, that could be, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other, every single individual deals with their own personal struggle. I don't care from the rich to the poor. I don't care how happy they present, how sad they present. Every single individual deals with their own struggle. And so if you don't feel like the person who you're spending a significant amount of your time with cares about you as an individual and actually cares about your success or values, your thoughts, your experiences, then you start tuning them out. You, you're ready to go. Before you, before the day even started, you are ready to go. Just again, influencing the culture with, mm, I say coming in, you know, coming in with just a patient energy, right? A patient spirit, a patient mind and allowing, you know, kids to, I don't know, just really, you know, develop in their own significant way. So we have the, the things that we need to teach them, right? The things that we want them to learn, uh, the lessons that, you know, are important that are going to lead to, you know, bigger lessons. And we get that, but really making it a culture of listening and understanding is also going to make it easier because then you allow your students to be an extension of you. So, you know, I had a, a very proud mom moment where my daughter's teacher, he called me and he said, you know, I actually just want to take the time to give your daughter kudos because she came into the classroom and there was a student who was being left out. We were doing group work. Um, she went up to the student, she talked to her and he said, you know, she, you could visibly see the student start to relax and start becoming more talkative. My daughter took it a step further from there. She didn't just, you know, start talking to her and leave her. She encouraged her to come be in my group and encouraged her to share her ideas and things. I was just so proud of her. And I asked her, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, how do you feel about that? And she was like, mom, like I did it because I know what it feels like to be left out. And I didn't want her to feel that way. You know, for one, her teacher calling me to give her kudos on that is that that lets me know that he's encouraging that type of behavior in the classroom. 
He wants to see, you know, not only my daughter continue to do that, but he wants the students to see him congratulate her so that that behavior is then spread around, right? So if we're having concerns about students that like, like uh, Jocelyn, like you mentioned, people are saying they don't have time and, you know, they don't have time for this or that. The, the, the school day can be overwhelming, right? But if we take the time to implement these things and to build a solid foundation, again, we're going to have students who are an extenuation of ourselves. And then we're creating, again, a whole culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. I, and I love that. I'm, I'm so proud of my niece. That is, that is incredible. It's affirmation for you and I that the work that we're doing is important. It makes a difference because sometimes we can get pushback like, uh, you know, why, why do you want to do this? Or why do you want to do that? And it's like, because I can see the evidence of how this has a positive impact on the lives of not only my own like biological children, but all of the other children that I am connected to nieces and nephews and students in the classroom. It is starting to be a ripple effect. If we want to create spaces where everyone feels like life is worth living, hello, coming out of the pandemic where there was a, an incredibly high suicide rate and depression rates are off the charts, how can we create learning environments where students feel like it is worth it to be there? Obviously, situations where teachers are encouraging students to like dig into these concepts of support and encouragement and saying, we are building a community here where we can do collaborative and cooperative work. And I'm not going to be penalized because I'm supposed to be sitting quietly in my chair working independently all the time. That is so important. Even even more so though, one of the things you said a few minutes ago was just how essentially like we as educators, we have to model this for the students. We cannot necessarily really show them how to do this unless we've also done the work. So how are we sitting with ourselves and saying, Let me sit here and look at who I am and how I've traditionally dealt in situations where it was high stress, where I maybe felt uncomfortable, where there was confusion, where I felt like I wanted to be on the defense or any of these things. How have I dealt in those situations and or what would have made it better? How could I have reached out? Where was there a lifeline? I also wanted to bring you on the podcast because you're a school counselor. And I know that when I was in the classroom, I didn't utilize the school counselors as much as I probably could have. Now, I think I probably did more than other teachers just because you know me, I'm gonna go and chit chat and and have a good old conversation with everybody, right? But like really sitting down with them and leveraging their knowledge base about how I could best interact with some of my students and having even like this trauma-informed lens, I didn't do it, you know? And I think about, so Jonay and I, we started this like homeschool group together. During the the pandemic, there were obviously a lot of students that had already been homeschooled. And then now a lot of students that were transitioning to be homeschooled students. And we decided, okay, like, let's go ahead and put together this program. It was called Vache Homeschool Classes, which was named for our great grandfather. We had students that were kindergarten all the way up to high school. I think 10th grade was the oldest student. One of the things that Jonay did was she worked on social emotional learning and she used this positive psychology. So I would love for you to share some of the activities that you did with those students because I think teachers are hearing what we're saying right now and they're probably like, yes, this makes sense. I do want to make sure I'm using positive psychology in my classroom. I want to make sure I'm I'm allowing space for my students to be able to do the inner work to figure out what makes life worth living and what then in turn makes being in my class worthwhile. 
So what are some things that, that you did with, with those students and, in, and, you know, with your students now? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to encourage, you know, teachers to work with the guidance counselors. You know, they are a whole resource. We love partnering because teachers, you know, teachers are amazing. They come up with so many intricate, you know, just novel ideas, workarounds and just, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal partnering that with someone whose main focus is, I like to call it sort of like, you know, the school parent or, you know, somebody who who's always being there to catch information and to, you know, make sure that that information is doled out and that it's understood and those type of things. I would love to just encourage them to work with the counselors um, because oftentimes, you know, schools have a guidance curriculum in place that is like language that the whole school can incorporate. They can implement that in their classrooms. And, you know, it's so much more powerful, again, when it's it's implemented as a team. So the kids are in, in math and they hear the teacher using this type of language. They go to reading and the teacher's using the same type of language. They go into the office and the staff is using this type of language. And so it's, you know, it's a school-wide program that promotes this, this thinking to your point about VH. So see the, the curriculum that we worked on there was really just, you know, getting in touch with emotions. I think that it's, it's overwhelming nowadays because there are so many resources, everyone down to five-year-olds like have access, have worldwide access, you know, I mean, a five-year-old can really and truly talk to another person in China if they wanted to, just by getting on YouTube and they can see, you know, so many different cultures and things. But I think that that's so overwhelming because again, you might be watching the way certain cultures do stuff, but you don't really have any understanding about it. You know, you could be exposed to different types of experiences, different type of language, different type of behavior. And it's just overwhelming, you know, to understand what all they're seeing. And so I think that's why it is so important. And there's been just such a big push for social emotional learning because we have to help our kids process these feelings that they're having. You know, we can't just expect them to come out and be like, oh, you know, I have this really, really big feeling. We know that the way that they're acting and the things that they're doing, they're expressing anger. They might even be expressing rage, but they don't know that. Right. And they don't know how to navigate for themselves a healthy way to um, output that Mm. energy has to go somewhere. So, you know, emotions are energy and it has to go somewhere. So teaching them the proper way to um, express their feelings and express their emotions is key. And so that's a lot of what we did. We um, started writing journals every morning. We sat down, allowed the kids to just for their own personal enjoyment, you know, they could write it in marker. They could, you know, use whatever color they wanted. They could write it on the side of the page if they wanted to. You know, if that's the way they felt like expressing themselves, have at it as long as you express. And, you know, they would write down two feelings that they were having for that day. And then they would write down, why are they having those feelings? And some of the kids actually started to all the kids, they looked forward to it when it was time for me to collect them. They all wanted to stop it and share with me. I'm having these feelings today, Miss Anderson. Whereas, you know, at the beginning of the sessions, they were shy about that. You know, I'd walk around to collect the books and the books were already closed. You know, they were handing me the book and ready to just get it over and done with to them developing to a point where they're wanting to share with me. Yeah. Some of them wrote down, I'm feeling upset this morning. I'm, I'm feeling angry um, or I'm feeling sad. 
various different reasons for some of them, but I think it's so important to allow kids to also have the permission to not be happy all the time. So when we talk about positive psychology and that the focus of it being what makes life most worth worthwhile, you can't really do that without understanding that there are going to be downfalls. There are going to be lows and there are going to be sad days because that's life. Each and every one of us as adults have been through a hard time because that is life. We can't look at our kids and think that every day for them when they wake up is going to just be peaches and cream just because they're Mm -hmm. kids. They experience things too. And, you know, they experience all the emotions that we do. Again, just a lot less refined, giving them the permission to feel the way they feel, but understanding that, hey, if you're, if you're angry about something that happened, right, this is the, this is, is the best way to get that out. You know, here are some things. Let's try these few different things and figure out what's the, you know, what is the best way that works for you to feel a release? Because we don't want to put that out on someone else who didn't make you angry, right? Um, Or sometimes there's sad events that happen. And sometimes you need to just make space and be sad. And someone just needs your support in that feeling. Not just not thinking that because we're saying positive psychology, that everything has to be positive because that's not reality. Well, thank you for that clarification, because I mean, I'm not going to say that that's what I thought necessarily, but I did think like, okay, whenever we put the word positive in front of something, a lot of times it does. There's like this dotted line to the word happy. And I think about at my daughter's school, they have like one of their norms or something is like walking around with like a sunny disposition or something. And I definitely raised my hand during the, uh, the open house and was like, what does that mean? Because mm-hmm. I have the type of face where everything doesn't always look like, oh, I'm excited. I'm happy to be here. Right. Like, right. I just do not. I remember in high school, people tell me all the time, like, Jocelyn, it looks like you're so angry or whatever. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just here. This is just my face. And I'm not going to like every single time just because, because that makes me put on this. Okay. It makes my cheeks hurt to smile all day long. Okay. <laughs> it just does. I'm not, I'm not going to put it on, especially if it's not real. We also need to validate the fact that we have this other range of emotions. We can't just like paint over them and say, well, you better get the quickest way to happy that you can because that is something that, ooh, I feel like that's what leads to children starting to feel like something is wrong with them, right? It leads to like depression. It makes them just feel like, well, I guess I can't tell anybody. I want to hide it because then now other people are going to think something's wrong with me or they're going to try to force me out of this feeling and I'm not ready to be done with this feeling of sadness yet. Ooh, yeah. But again, I want to circle back to the educator too and encourage you as the teacher to be doing this work because every time that you have an opportunity to be reflective yourself and to be be thinking about your own emotions, right? Like I, oh goodness, I can remember several times when I was pregnant with my oldest, I would come to school and I would have been crying in the car, right? My emotions were all over the place. Or even for my wedding, even a couple of years before that, right? When I was planning my wedding and you know, Jonah, I used to call you and be like, I just had an argument with mom. You mm-hmm. know, she just doesn't understand. I would just be crying, 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 crying. And now I got to wipe my face and go into the school. But that, that literally made me think whenever a student would come in and they would not necessarily be smiling mm-hmm. from ear to ear, or I could tell that they had been crying. Like I would give them more grace. I'll be like, oh yeah, I just had a moment too. I just had this space where I was sad and I wasn't ready to not be sad yet because I needed to like fully process that thing. But as educators, I feel like so many times we are so eager to get them out of that. Come on, like, let's be happy. Let's smile. I was like, I'm not happy. 
So you have 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 jogged a memory for me. Uh, my son, he went on a field trip, and the field trip was to a plantation down south. I'm so happy that you know I was able to be there um, and go through this experience with him. But I know just personally how it made me feel to walk through this big, beautiful open house with high ceilings and intricate work and, you know, just artwork all over the walls and everything. And then you go down this little skinny, narrow steps and you go down to the basement where is the kitchen, the cooking area, and also the sleeping quarters. The ceilings are yay high. So you're having to, you know, kind of maneuver around because there's not a lot of space. There's cemented walls. I mean, it's, it's definitely not aesthetically pleasing. And it was just so disheartening to, to stand in that moment and think about, you know, my ancestors living this way and being, you know, treated the way that they were treated in that time. Me as a full-grown adult experiencing that, my son, who, you know, was I think 14 at the time, once we got, he didn't say much as we walked through the house, you know, and there were other students who were, oh, okay, look at this, or oh, I didn't know that, or, you know, are we almost done yet? You know, like, da-da-da, range of emotions, and then we get outside, and we went to the outhouse, and they showed us that, and it was, you know, it was even more unbearable because you want to think about the heat down south, and you want to think about you working in the 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 kitchen where it's sweltering hot because you have a stove down there. So you're sweating and you stink. Okay. It's just flat out. And then you, you go into, you know, this outhouse, they, they had this, you know, specific outhouse for, I don't know, so many family members. They didn't have rooms to separate. They just had beds in there and is a little four by four. And this is where they were expected to live. It's like, again, after a long, hard day's work, everyone smells, right? Everyone's tired. I'm sure you don't really want to be, you know, in close quarters, right, with everyone, but this is like where you're being forced to live. So we went out and that was, I guess, kind of the maybe the last straw for my son. And he said, mom, like, I just, I just feel so sad right now. And I'm like, okay, why? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I, well, I've never been to a plantation before. And he's like, to think about slaves, which were our ancestors. That's where we, who we come from, mom. Right. And I said, yeah. And he said, to think about how they had to all this land, like they're the ones who had to be out here tilling the land and, and, you know, taking care of the vegetation and all these things. And then, you know, doing the hard labor. And so he just started having all these connections and all these feelings. And I said, you know what, you're right. And I shared with him the feelings that I'm having. And then he went up to his teacher and he tried to bring his teacher into the conversation and the teacher blew him off. The teacher was like, right, right, right. And then continued on with, you know, another group of students who were not even engaged in, you know, the tour. That for my son was like very pivotal because he was having an actual experience and an actual moment. And so I also just want to say, you know, when students are connecting with the, the material that's being taught, or if they have their own personal experience that they're bringing in to share as a connection to the material, allow them the space, allow them mm -hmm. that space, because that was an uncomfortable moment for the teacher. And by his response, I could see that he did not know how to respond, but that brushing off of students, that's a learning moment. That was a teaching moment. And just completely brushing that off, it discouraged any, you know, any further growth for him. And so, again, I'm glad that I was there, you know, to be able to kind of walk through that moment and just talk with him about it. But imagine how many times that this could happen to any any random student.
Right. I, I remember when that happened and you had told me about that some years ago and just feeling the same way that I do right now, right? Just completely heartbroken. Because like you said, that was that was a, a missed opportunity on the part of the teacher. That was an opportunity for that teacher to be vulnerable with your son and with all the other students that were there. And before, so <laughs> that was one of the things too, for me, when I first moved down South, driving to Red Springs, passing all these cotton fields, cotton fields, cotton. And I was triggered, like you said, as a grown adult. And I'm starting to think, oh my gosh, like, can I even teach here? Can I, what is this going to be like? Right. So there are these, these, these emotions that rise up in us as adults and we struggle to process them. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to like move forward and be successful, right? And to really thrive and to, to fully be able to like understand all that it is that we need to know, we need to be guided through and given these, these tools so that we can process these emotions. But as educators, like going into an experience like that beforehand, you're taking a group of children to a plantation. You need to be thinking about what triggers are going to come. Right. Well, and just to be transparent, think about in that moment, how much healing could have happened between a Caucasian teacher and an African-American student mm. if that teacher would have taken the moment to be vulnerable and say, man, that's not where I came from. You know, I didn't come from that side of this experience, but I'm so sorry that that happened to you, you know, and I could imagine if this was me having to live in these quarters, how I would feel, or do you know what I mean? Just taking that time, like you said, to process that out. Imagine how much healing that could have been just in that one instance, as we move forward and we want to, as a nation, continue to heal. Absolutely, right, because see, it's like, I, I can't even, I'm gonna need to to stay right here because as, as, as we're trying to like, to erase, and so many schools are saying, well, we're not even gonna teach about American slavery or any of tragic things that have happened throughout history. We just wanna take those things out. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And I am so sorry if that just makes someone clutch their pearls as you are listening, but it is. Because the reality is just like you said, thinking about this word positive psychology and, and how a lot of times there's this dotted line to the word happy or, or we're always trying to encourage people to, oh, just be happy, be happy. That is not real life. It's not real life. Yeah. And, and if we don't teach our students, if we don't show them how to also navigate the most challenging times in their own life and to be able to look back at our history and say, look, yeah, this is a blemish right here. This is not, this was not good. Nobody agrees with it. Like we have moved past it and like, we're, thank goodness. And, and maybe we're ashamed of it. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But what we're not going to do is cover it up and try to be like, oh, well, if we talk about it, you know, certain students are going to feel like they, it's, it's on them. No, no. It's the way that you're teaching it then. Because if you're teaching it with a lens of making any child that is living in the current day feel like this was their fault, it's not, right? Or any, or so any white child, right? I guess let's be more specific, feeling like this is their fault or to make any black child feel like they are also in this, I'm an enslaved person. No, it's, it's about the way that you're teaching it. Mm -hmm. Guiding those conversations with these ideas of what does our country stand for? If we're mm -hmm. standing for peace, justice, liberty, freedom, then let's look at certain things that have happened throughout our history that do not line up with that. What and then let's look at things 
that do exactly. And what can we learn from that? Mm-hmm. Like these are all learning moments and opportunities for us to be vulnerable with each other and build a stronger community. Because at the end of the day, we all have feelings. We all have emotions. And it's just that simple. It is. It's just that simple. Learning to process my emotions effectively, honestly, is one of the things that makes life worth living. And mm. that's one of the things that I value about you is that is that you, and I think that this is probably why you became a, a counselor and a mental health professional, because I can think even when we were kids, <laughs> even when we were kids and we would be sharing a room. Okay. Jodan and I had these bunk beds. <laughs> had these bunk beds. Yes. <laughs> and I... I was sleeping on the top bunk. She was sleeping on the bottom bunk. And I would just be running my mouth about all the things. And as Jodi said, she's like more of a quiet, like shy person. And, you know, as you've listened to my my podcast, you know, I'm over here to run my mouth. That That, that is what I do. I talk about all the things. And I'd be like, Jonay, you know, what do you think about this boy? Or what do you think about this situation? I just feel this. I feel that. And she would just be just as patient. me and all of my 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old wisdom. Would, uh, would guide you along the right path, right, sister? <laughs> you would. I mean, you would give me things to think about. And most of the time it would be like, Jocelyn, stop being foolish. Okay? <laughs> like, leave, leave that little boy alone, okay? Or you need to just go ahead and have your cry and then come right back. Nature like, versus always... nurture. Thank you for helping me find my path. You know? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm here to be your partner on this journey <laughs> to discovering who you really are, who you really want to be. <laughs> Thanks, sis. (laughs) I wonder how your trajectory or like your path toward getting to that goal would have been faster if that had been nurtured in you as a younger child. If, and I love our parents, but a lot of times they would just lump you in with me. They would just be like, okay, well, Jocelyn's going to do this. So Jonah, you go ahead and do it too. Right. And like, if there had been that time set aside for you to like do some identity work. Exactly. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why I said I, I found my word. I think that's why, you know, I've just become a, a champion in this manner because it is so important. As we know, everything happens the way that it's supposed to, right? So I did not, and I had to put in that groundwork, right? And so now I can push others to take that time, really sit down and focus with them and say, hey, like, let's do the work. You know what I mean? It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. And just because you are uncomfortable does not mean that you are unsafe. Okay. Like that another friend and I were having a conversation and she just kept saying, I'm like, that is so, those are facts. Just because you are uncomfortable, you are, you are safe. And I think that that's the other thing for, for, for teachers as an encouragement around using this positive psychology and really diving into what makes life worth living, allowing your students to have that reflective time is that that's what starts to create a safe environment. Like you said, with your students who at first they were closing the books and they didn't want you to see and they didn't want you to know to where it's like, oh no, we're sharing with you. And we start to share with each other mm-hmm. and we can encourage each other and support each other and uplift each other because what makes my life worth living is coming to school every day and knowing that I've got a community of other learners around me and teachers that want to hear my voice, that value the way that I feel and the way that I show up. It's not just about one plus one equals two. Like that's good and you do need that. But also let me check in with you here mentally, emotionally. How are you doing? And you know, it it gives you permission when you see someone else do something or when you hear someone else say something. 
it gives you permission. It was, you know, a ripple effect when one student pet had passed away. And that's the reason why she was sad that day. Um, but she wanted to share that. She was so inspired by writing in the journal that she wanted to stand up and she wanted to share her experience with the class. And I felt, hey, this is my opportunity to empower her. Like I said, it was kind of a ripple effect because that sort of gave the other students permission to say, oh, I can, I cannot be happy. I can say I'm not happy today, I'm sad, or I'm tired, you know, or I'm feeling anxious. And so that gave them permission. And so creating a culture where we're giving other people and other students permission to, um, one, and one of the biggest things that I like to tell my daughter is it's okay to make mistakes. And we've all heard this, but really take that in, you know, really take it in. When you attempt to make the change in the classroom, right? When you are changing your own mindset and trying new things, it's okay if it doesn't come out as a, a pretty picture the very first time, right? It's okay if it gets a little messy or a little off the beaten path, because that just makes you stronger. And that makes everybody else involved stronger, you know, when you get back up and you try again. So just allowing you to have grace for yourself, Okay. Well, of course I could talk to you for hours and hours. I mean, we literally were talking here for an hour before we pushed record. <laughs> so, but we have to let the people go. <laughs> We've got to sign off. So first of all, I do want to let everyone know that you do actually host workshops around this concept of positive psychology, right? And what are some of the other topics that you lead workshops on? Coping skills, coping skills, coping skills, You're just mental health awareness. And so again, these are a lot of the concepts we talk about, you know, just being aware of yourself. So if they want to reach out to you, if there's someone that's listening to this podcast episode today and they're just like, I need more information about this in my life, I want to be able to equip myself and I want to be able to equip and empower my students. Where can they find you? They can find me at my email address. Anderson dot jone j-o-n-e-e -E, at gmail.com and that that is where i'm starting so one of my one of my quotes in the back is bloom where you are planted that's another one of my favorites come with what you have again it's not always going to be perfect it's not always going to be you know a pretty wrapped package or whatever but start where you are and i'm starting at my email so that is where you can reach me i have to just say that i love that quote as well because i feel like that is another piece of encouragement for educators Yes, it can be overwhelming sometimes to think, well, how can I do all these things and how can I manage all the emotions or even that teacher that was dealing with your son, right? Where it's like that teacher was probably overwhelmed in that very moment. Like, I don't even know what to say here. But if we start to if we start where we are, like bloom where you're planted, what do you have? What words can you say? Hey, I'm sorry that you are feeling that way. Do you want to talk about it some more? I know it's, it's difficult to be sad. Do you want to? move to the side and talk about this, right? Like just start where you are. What do you have? I love that. I love that. I love that. So during Jonay's workshops, she shares um, more advice and tips and strategies for really how to utilize all these things, right? To use the coping skills and to, to leverage positive psychology and all of that. So find her at her email address, or of course you can let me know and I can get you in contact with her because she is my real life sister and you know I got her cell phone number. So, oh my goodness, it has truly been a pleasure talking to you, sharing you with the world. You are always a gem in my life. And I just, I mean, I literally, I want everyone to 
have a sister like you, right? To like understand what that means. I have five kids and I really wanted to make sure that my daughter had a sister because I have an eight-year-old daughter and then we've got the one-year-old and I really wanted her to have a sister because I wanted her to experience that joy and that beauty. And I know everyone doesn't have that. I don't take it for granted the relationship that I have with you. I do value it. So thank you, sister. I love you very much. Thank you so much for having me on today. And I've enjoyed talking to you and, uh, you know, just watching your journey and watching you grow as well. So I wish you continued success. Thank you all for listening in today. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation. We had lots of ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and there was laughter and joy. There were moments of reflection on sadness too. So all of it is important. If you want to share with me more of what you got from this episode, please reach out to me. Send me a DM on Instagram. My handle is at iteachcustom. Of course, you can always email me as well, jocelyn at custom teaching solutions. I will make sure I link to all the things in the show notes below. And until next Wednesday, I hope that you have a beautiful rest of your week. That's a wrap on today's episode, but it does not have to be a wrap on the action you're taking in your classroom. The perfect next step is to head over to customteachingsolutions.com forward slash the checklist and grab the free resource I created just for you. It's called the ultimate classroom diversity checklist, and it has five simple steps that you can take to create a much more welcoming and inclusive classroom to day. All right, my friend, grab your free resource and we'll chat next week.